You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series with Pastor Daniel Williams called Joy, A Battle of the Mind, a study through the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back for you. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians, all of chapter 1, the whole chapter this week. I want to make sure I stick to my notes because it is a lot. Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Williams. If I had not met you, it is so good to have you here. We have some out-of-town friends here. We have some new people. And of course, our online audience, we welcome you as well. Uh, Shout out to all the people watching the podcast or hearing the podcast right now. We pray for those people. We love those people. So I'm glad you're listening. Wherever you're at, whatever God is doing, I hope that you know that he is worthy of our praise. And one of the ways we do that is through giving, through these service projects, through singing praise. But we worship Jesus with our mind as we're going to learn through the study of his word. And so we're going to be studying God's word together. It is a great season. We're going to continue to worship God through this book of Philippians. And uh, man, you know, I'm just, I'm just so proud of this. I'm proud of our church. You know, we do topical studies. Uh, right now, I'm having a great time uh, every about two times a week uh, during live on our YouTube channel. I just get up and do a little devotion, 15 minutes. We do other stuff. But this right here, Philippians, is going to be the 22nd book of the Bible that we've taught through. Okay? And so uh, it's a four-chapter book. I'm not, we don't shy away. We've done the whole Gospel of Matthew, Revelation, other larger chunks But this is only a four-week study, and it's crazy. Like, I'm just, as a pastor, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm going to do a chapter a week. That's so much. So it warms my heart that you have this book to go through in community to talk about it. Now, we haven't met for two weeks, uh, so let me give you a little bit more of a recap. Last time we met, I did a a whole overview of the whole book to talk about Philippians uh, and really the history of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, Um, and sort of to give you an outline, chapter one. Uh, Chapter 1 is about the marvel of the Christian life in Philippians. Paul really emphasizes and prays that their love would grow. He prays that there's this mystery of love that they would know, and there's a fellowship that we have as believers in the gospel, and that we're family. And so he talks about this concept. In chapter 2, he really talks about the model of the Christian life, that Jesus is our model, is our pattern. He serves, and now we're to not only love him, but to love one another. And Jesus models this, and Paul teaches into this. In chapter 3, there's the motivation, or you could say the march of the Christian life, how we're to move forward and press on in faith. The gospel gives us hope. The gospel lets us know that we are citizens of heaven, and we're to have our mind on things of heaven and walk towards Christ, and the best is yet to come. Chapter 4, the outline is the marks of the Christian life. Now, when you marvel with the gospel and God's love for you, when you are actually modeling your life after Jesus, serving and loving other people, when you're moving forward by faith, there will be marks in your life, and part of that is fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. These things that fill our hearts and fill your hearts, and Paul's saying you could be secure in those things. Joy and peace come from God. Amen? And that's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to a real group of people, Philippi. They're a group of of people that he planted a church in. It was the first church planted in Europe. The first church planted in Europe. I'm not going to go in depth, but I want to give you a little bit of background and make sure you guys remember. Uh, Paul loved them and they loved him. There was mutual love in their relationship. And so he writes this sort of thank you letter full of encouragement from prison to bless them. 
This is known as what scholars say a prison epistle. Why, you may ask. Well, it was written in prison. Dude was locked up. That's how amazing Paul was. He was going everywhere. God had to lock him up, and he still did ministry. Other three books that are prison epistles would be Colossians. Ladies, you just studied through that. The book of Ephesians, we studied through that together as a church. And Philemon, it's one chapter. We'll study that soon. Although this letter is about the Christian life, there is a common theme in this book. Can anyone guess the common theme? Joy, yes. It's a common theme. It's over and over again. In fact, 19 times in this letter, it says rejoice, gladness, or has this concept of joy in this book, these just four chapters. So yes, it is about the Christian life, but it is so much more. John MacArthur said, in spite of Paul's imprisonment, the dominant tone of this letter is joyful. You can just imagine Paul writing this with a smile, content. In fact, if you go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, we sort of have a theme verse for the whole letter. The whole letter says, the whole letter seemed themed up in this verse. He, Paul said, finally, my brothers, brothers and sisters, those are beloved by God, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. We all need good, healthy reminders, don't we? That we can have joy in the Lord, that he could be our strength, that he can give us some fruit. Paul's writing this letter because he wanted to remind them that there's joy in the Lord. He would say in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 12 and 13, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. If any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. He learned some secret. God gave him some revelation on how to be content. He said, abundance and need, I can do all things through him, speaking of Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. It's through Jesus that gives us strength to be content in every situation. He learned that the hard way. And so we looked at the history and how things got messed up for him in Acts chapter 15 and 16. And God was doing this work. He didn't understand. And yet joy filled his heart. G. Campbell Morganson said this. He said, this is Paul's great singing letter. Just imagine he's in prison. It was in Philippi, you remember in Acts chapter 16, that he sang in prison at midnight in the company of Silas. And now he's again in prison, this time in Rome, singing joy. Joy, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Paul wanted us and them to know the secret of having joy in this life is found in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? That is the secret. And you're like, wait, that's a secret? That's not really a secret. Well, it's the mystery of the gospel. It's somewhere to proclaim now. But you know what? For many people, that is news because it's a selfish life. It's one that wants possessions or puts uh, hope in people or circumstances that brings them happiness. But the Bible says there's something deep, deeper, greater within your soul that you can have a happiness, a strength that's found in joy. It's this substance in the Lord. Another Bible commentator said about the book of Philippians, it has been labeled the secret of joy. The secret of joy. It answers the question, how can I have joy in my heart despite the circumstances. How can I have joy in my heart despite the circumstances? And Paul had learned this. This was real to him. This isn't just some fake doctrine or concept. He's experiencing the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the gospel. He's in prison and he's giving you this revelation. And this revelation may be a little bit different than you've ever thought or come up with. The secret may surprise some of us. Our joy is linked to our minds, our thoughts, 
our patterns of thinking. He says not only 19 times about joy, gladness, and rejoicing in this book, but he says 16 references to our mind. Have the mind of Christ. Uh, Would you think this way? Remember this. There is a correlation in the importance of our thought life and how it brings us joy and peace and strength in God. Too often we get robbed from our joy because instead of looking at Jesus, we're looking at our circumstances, people, or things for fulfillment. Instead of being filled with joy, we're filled with worry because we're not worshiping. And this is why the Bible exhorts us, Hebrews 12, 2, look and fix your eyes on Jesus. Think about him, his goodness, his faithfulness, his character to you. Or Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, so take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Walk in his will. Think about his goodness, his word, his life for you. Because as you think, so you are. When you apply God's word to your life, you will be blessed. We have a choice to make when it comes to our focus, our thought life, and our attitude, but we don't have a choice what happens to us. And God says, fix your eyes on him. And so I'm calling this series, Joy, a Battle of the Mind. Joy, a Battle of the Mind. We must practice having the right mindset practically in our lives, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and living according to what God says is true, not being deceived by the enemy or the lies of our thoughts or our flesh. But to experience joy, we have to have a mindset that gives honor and glory to God and worship with our mind. And so the outline that we're taking is chapter one, the single mind. And we're going to cover this tonight. What Paul talks about, it was a single mind, one that lives for God alone and his glory alone. And living in the gospel and the power of the gospel. Chapter two, he talks about the submissive mind. That the focus is on Christ's example and our, we should be submitting to him and to other people. And when you submit and when you serve, you'll have joy in your life. But it's going to take you to decide, will I love? Will I serve? Will I give? Chapter three, it's the spiritual mind. One that doesn't live for possessions, but lives for earthly treasure and knows his citizenship is in heaven. It's one that lives for the kingdom of God, focusing on God and having an eternal perspective that can move forward with hope. Finally, in chapter four, it's this secure mind. Because when you have a single mind, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind, your mind will be secure. And it's one that understands that God gives you peace, that he's with you, that God gives you power through the spirit and that God gives provision and protection. God is a giver. He's a lover. He's very generous. And when we know that, we're secure in his love and the power of his gospel, and we move forward in that. And so this outline is from Warren Wearsby, the book we're covering. I had to do it. I was telling Jen earlier, I was like, I I have to do it. Like, as a pastor, I'm going to go so quick. I'm going to read so many verses. You don't even understand, like, the last eight years, I've never taught through the book of Philippians because I could just take one verse and do a whole message. And now I'm doing a whole chapter so y'all need to make sure, even if you aren't part of a community group, grab one of these books. For if you're watching online, you can go to Amazon. They are a little bit more than $10, but hey, you know, shipping and handling. So for you in the room, you get it $10. If you don't have a Bible or, or one of these books, grab them both for free. We don't care. It just helps me. So that way when you know and you're like, did he cover that verse? Is he doing it? No, I didn't. Okay. I'm giving you a great outline. But I'm going to try to stick close to this book for the outline. So that way, when we go dig deeper and discuss and study scripture, 
you'll know. And hey, you know I love quotes, so I'll even quote some more in Wearsby tonight, all right? So we're coming to this book as a church and a congregation, just setting it up to train our minds. You ever come to church like you're going to go to war, like you're battling, like you're supposed to be equipped to go out into the world and make a difference for Jesus? That's what actually we're doing right now. Because God, don't ever forget, he wants you as the mission. He loves you. It's not just all about the people out there and the people in the empty seats. He brought you here for a reason and you are the mission of God. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants you to live in victory and freedom and claiming the promises of God and enjoying him. So does that sound good? Yeah, I hope so. Let's get into it. Chapter one, the single mind. Let me pray again. Help me to focus, get through the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Again, God, we continue to pray, continue to worship, continue to set this book up. And yes, I am excited. Not just because I'm a preacher, Lord, I'm a Christian and you just saved my soul. And you've given me joy and you've given me real fruit, transformation for the renewing of my mind as I've gone, gone to your word. Jesus, you are the living word. And so I thank you that your spirit is here with us, that you're a great teacher and comforter. We pray for your presence to be overwhelming to us, to just minister and speak and Lord, bring our attention as we just continue to study and worship you. Help us to understand these deep truths and Holy Spirit, give revelation and teach as only you can. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, with a Bible open, let's dig into it. You can open your Bible, you could turn to uh, on your phone, but we're going to be reading the entire chapter. So you may just want to have a finger there and make sure it's open. Let's start with chapter, uh, let's start with verse one and two. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. There had been a church established. There was leadership. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a very typical greeting of most of Paul's letters. Uh, it shows who wrote it and who the letter was to. Remember last time we took a deep dive into the context, into the history, and so I'm not going to go into that much. You can listen to the podcast. It's, uh, it's full of in-depth of how God taught Paul this revelation of not knowing things and having his circumstances uh, be changed. But yet God met him in that and showed him this revelation to plant a church, to give God glory through it all. And so I'm not going to repeat myself, but maybe even in your devotional time, you can read Acts 15 and 16 again. Uh, they, this church had been planted by Paul, and they were supporting Paul in ministry, financially. Okay, And so he was writing a letter, and this letter is primarily almost a thank you letter. You see it in the tone, you see it in the care, you see it in the language. They had sent Ephroditus to Paul, and now Paul is sending him back saying thank you with this letter. And this includes doctrine. This includes his revelation on being joyful. This is scripture. Peter would tell us this about Paul and his writings. So Paul starts this letter, and he's showing us first off the mindset that we are to have if we want joy as we dig into this text. It's the single mind. The single mind. Now, if you look down at verse 21, this is going to be sort of our theme verse for the chapter, sort of what a single mind is. Because it's like, what, what is a single mind? What are you talking about? Well, Paul would say in this text, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we refer to having a single mind, it's one fixed on our devotion to Christ and Him alone. That we're living for His glory. It's an attitude that helps us live for Christ. 
Paul's circumstances didn't rob uh, him of his joy because he was not living for his circumstances. And he's about to get in chapter one all these circumstances that have gone wrong that he was not happy about, but yet he still found joy and praise and rejoiced in the Lord. He made Jesus his life, his purpose, and this gave him great strength through any situation. People want strength, you make Jesus your foundation and you build upon him your life. And even when the waves come and the situations don't, your house will stand, your life will stand. And so he wants the church in Philippi and us to know where his strength come from. That his strength came from the joy of the Lord. His strength came from the joy of the Lord. Too oftentimes we're robbed of our joy because we elevate our circumstances over Christ. They get in the way, they distract us, they, they have our thoughts go to something else that's not worthy of our thoughts or worthy of our time or our attention. And so he's trying to tell us this. You know, James would tell us this in James 1.8. James would say, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's unstabilized in all his ways. We are unstable if we find our joy in circumstances one day and then Christ another day. Or we, we worship Jesus on Sundays, but some days we really don't. We're one foot in the world, we're one foot out. What are you going to make up your mind? James says, no, you can't do that. Your faith has to have the work. You've got to go all in, surrendered will and worship. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do. He was a single man focused on a single mission, living for Jesus, his glory, his gospel. And when he did this, there was fruit in his life. And so we see in this chapter that he responds to some circumstances that he can't control. Because haven't you ever been in a circumstance where you can't control? All of us have. But he tells them that they can control something, their minds, their attitudes, how they praise, what they do. Rejoicing is a choice. And he would say others in this chapter are preaching the gospel for selfish ambition, but he trusted God to grow people's faith and it wasn't relied on him. And so Paul tells the church and us as well that they can choose to rejoice in the Lord Paul is more concerned with the single mind about God, his glory, the gospel to go forth in situations. And this is where the power is, to put your mind in submission to the Lord's. Your will, your heart, your desires, and place them before God. Say, God, will your will be done on earth as in heaven. I want to live for you. It's interesting because Jesus said, if you die, you'll actually find life. But if you try to gain it all, you'll lose it. What does that mean? Paul's going to go into it. So here's the outline for chapter one. In verses one through 11, or maybe three through 11, you can say, he's concerned about the fellowship of the gospel. His mindset of giving God glory is saying, what a gift it is to have a partnership in the gospel. People that you love and care about and how God brings us together as family. And we may be separated, but we're together. In verse 12 through 26, he's concerned about the furtherance of the gospel. People were sharing the gospel with selfish ambition, but he said, it's okay because God is using this and it's the power of God to save. And even if they have false motivation, if the gospel goes forth, man, praise God. He was in prison praising God. And wouldn't you know it was in prison that he was spreading the gospel because that was his one concern. In verse 27 through 30, he's concerned about the faith of the gospel, the defense. The Bible says it's our faith. There's a faith, a trust, a belief. There's a divine truth given to the church to have doctrine, to stand on something firm. And he would say, you be a good soldier and you fight. 
of the gospel. You have faith in the gospel. You trust in the gospel, not me. I want you to trust in the gospel. And so this is a convicting chapter. Are you convicted yet? When you compare yourself to Paul, it's hard. This dude's going through a lot of stuff. I know, I know for me, when I go through a lot of stuff, I just complain. I just get upset. I get depressed. I get discouraged. When I don't think about Jesus, I don't have good fruit. That's just me. But wouldn't you know Paul would tell us this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. This is of the first importance. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came according to Scripture, that he died according to Scripture, that he rose again. And in this gospel, there are millions of implications that you can have in your life. Because the gospel is alive, it's growing, it's active, it's powerful, and God uses this message to save. And we're going to see the power of the gospel in Paul's life as he exhorts us to have this mindset. So chapter 1 sort of serves as like a litmus test to really address our hearts to see if we are rejoicing in the Lord or not. That's what a trial does. It blazes through your heart issues. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about God, thinking about God, thinking about God. But when it really comes down to it, when you really compare yourself to these things, it's going to show you where is your mind at? Are you, are you too consumed? Has that thing become an idol? Has that relationship ruined your joy? Is Jesus really the first and foremost person in your life? And so, yes, it is a convicting thing. Because when you see with someone that much passion, that much zeal, Man, you're like, dang, I want that. And this is what he's saying in chapter one. You can have it. You can have Jesus, a relationship with God through the gospel. He saved you of your sin. You can be free and you could know him and have fellowship. It's not for an elite pastor or this person or that. The gospel is for all God so loved the world, all the world that he gave his only son. Whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know me. You all can know Jesus. You all can choose to worship him no matter what happens. So, verses 3 through 11, the fellowship of the gospel. Paul rejoices in his different circumstances because they help strengthen his fellowship with other Christians. You have to understand, he, a situation is happening, and he's looking at it in a godly manner. He's in prison. It's hard. And he's rejoicing. Why? Because of the fellowship of the gospel, it's bringing him closer to his family. Verse 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. There was happiness, there was joy, there was love, because, he says in verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you. There were some feelings in this relationship. He loved. He had feelings for all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Sinners saved by grace is what the church is. Both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearned, longed, desired for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Remember, it comes through a person, not just principles. We're not up here just trying to make you good people. You need Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now listen, I know that it requires a lot of attention when we read big sections of Scripture like this, but let me just break it down section by section to help us walk through these big concepts. One of the sources of the Christian joy is fellowship through believers in Jesus Christ. That is one of the greatest sources of Christian joy that is found over and over again, as Paul says, one another verses like love one another, serve one another, minister to one another. There is something that God does, a common denominator that is a secure thing that will never change if you are a believer. Jesus' love for us all. We all need his grace. We all need his mercy. Um, Thinking through this, and oftentimes I've gone on many mission trips, one that changed my life. From a teenager until even right now, we're praying about going, me and Robin, to visit uh, the Valenzuela family, the missionary uh, family we support in Madrid, Spain. We go and visit these people, and whether we know them and the support of them and financially and prayed for them and have this sweet fellowship of time, and we don't see them for every couple of years, or if we just go into another city, and I don't know if this, you've ever experienced this before, you find out someone else is a Christian, like a Jesus lover. It just brings a little joy in your heart, doesn't it? There's just some type of like spiritual connection. Like, oh my, yeah, like, oh, you're a believer? You love Jesus? I love Jesus. And it brings this fellowship. Why? Because he is the great common denominator. He is the root of our being. That Christ, there's a bond in him. Even a bond so much so that you can go to a foreign mission field, like, uh, man, go to Lima, Peru, not speak the language, and yet you, some, you hear another brother and sister worshiping Jesus. And if you ever experienced it, you go to a different church, denomination, something, and they're speaking a different language, and yet you feel the Spirit of God there. And you have this great connection. And Paul is saying, this is what we have in the gospel. He says, you are partakers from the day you received Christ to right now. We have this fellowship. I may not even know your middle name or your birthday or all the things that you love and do, but those things are irrelevant. We don't have to have our bond on basketball or a sports team. We have it on Christ. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what is giving Paul joy in his situation and how he's praying for this church. He says, I pray with joy. He's interceding for them with joy because of their partnership, our fellowship in the gospel, and how God has connected them. In verse 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. This isn't something that you should feel bad about, that you want community that you miss people, that you want to be connected. God is a triune God. And so he built us in his image that we would be connected in community. And that got broken through sin. But God restores and redeems. And when Jesus forgave our sin, he gave us righteousness and he gave us a family. And now there is fellowship and we can forgive through the power of the Spirit and walk in unity. And so he says, I hold you in my heart. I love you. Isn't that a great thing? You come to church and you have people come and say, I don't even know you. You're like, I love you. People are giving hugs. Yeah, we're giving hugs. Paul realized that all followers of Jesus became adopted into the family of God and are connected through the gospel. He would tell the church in Rome, Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. 
to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption to the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul wanted them to know that he loved them and was connected with them by the spirit, even though they weren't physically together. They were separated. He was in Rome. They were in Philippi. He was in prison. They were free, but their fellowship was greater than that. It was in Jesus, and it would always be in Jesus. It wasn't in him as the great leader of the apostle Paul. He wasn't some super apostle saying it had to be connected to me. In fact, look at verse six. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It was God that brought the work, that brought the salvation. It wasn't the man. It wasn't the church. It was the power of the gospel that brought this fellowship. And now he's saying, and we are connected Paul knew as they submitted to the Lord and loved one another as family, it would bring great joy in their life. So verses 9 and 11, look in your Bible. He says this, So it is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul knew the power of fellowship and the gospel and how the loving others, being connected, would help bring joy in their life. And he prayed for it. Let me just ask you a simple application point. Are you praying for it? Are you connected to the body of Christ? Other people, does your heart long for community? Being in fellowship, is that a priority for you? The Bible would tell us that as we are in fellowship with other believers by loving one another, it brings joy. There will be great fruit. Paul couldn't plan for this emergency. He had already had that love in his heart and fellowship for one another. You know, I think about as a pastor, all the emergencies I get, even one today that breaks my heart. But people are connected and they've built that relationship on Christ and one another. So you're able to minister and be there for people. Paul was in prison, yet his heart was connected with other believers. He recognized the situation was horrible, but God was good. Thank God we can share each other's burdens as the family of God. He would tell the church in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And we're to be in fellowship, to bear one another's burdens. Warren, Warren Wearsby said, Christians who practice love always experience joy. Christians who practice love always experience joy. Both come as a result of the presence of the same Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. So as you abide in Christ and you love Jesus and you're saved and brought into fellowship through the gospel, you're going to love other people. First John said, if you don't, you're a liar. You don't really know the gospel and the forgiveness and the love and the heart, the transformational heart. If you want to increase your joy, have a mindset to be in fellowship with God and understand who he is and the power of the gospel, but then also bring how the gospel brings us together. Now, number two, verses 12 through 26. I told you I was taking big sections at a time, but it's good. The furtherance of the gospel. Paul was concerned not only with the fellowship of the gospel and how it brought them together, but also that this gospel would go out, that other people would be brought in he had a very evangelistic heart. 
Again, Warren Wiersbe says, when you have a single mind, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. And you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. Let me just read that again, because most of us complain about how God did not do something rather than rejoicing in our trials like the Bible says. You rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. And so we see Paul do this in this circumstance of imprisonment, how he was longing to be with them and separated, but yet the gospel is going forth even with selfish ambition, and he was rejoicing. He was rejoicing. Look at verse 12 through 14. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, to move it forward, to have it go out, to further it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He saw God working in the midst of it. People were seeing him go out and have boldness, and now they're being bold without fear because they're like, well, all they could do is kill him. And if I die, no, for me to live is Christ's gain. And so Paul encouraged them, them from prison. Can you imagine that? You ever have people going through the worst of times, like they're getting kicked, beaten down by life, and they're encouraging other people. You almost want to take a step back, like, hold on, brother, I'm supposed to be praying for you, man. What are you doing? This is what Paul is doing. He's experiencing this because he had this mindset, I don't see the circumstance like everyone else has seen the circumstance. God's always at work. And if I want to be out of prison, easy for God. But if God lets me in prison, look what he's up to. Now other brothers and sisters are preaching the gospel because they don't have any fear. And this is happening. This furtherance or the advancement of the gospel is going forth. Remember, he was writing scripture in in prison. And he knew this. He was chained to imperial guards. It was like the secret service of Rome back then. Guards would line up and save and, uh, you know, really have criminals tied up to them, chained. Every six hours, there'd be a different shift. So there'd be four shifts per day or night, have a 24-hour period. And some of those guards, he said, responded to the gospel. He's like, I'm linked up to a prime audience, just one person. They have to listen to me every six hours. It's the advancement of the gospel. I'm just going to keep on sharing. This is it's going for it. Great, you're a preacher. I'm a preacher. Don't matter if I have a pulpit or not. He's trying to understand and help us see that it's not just a church service, it's a lifestyle. That this is the furtherance of the gospel. So we see Paul glory in this. And it isn't like God is just working. He's seeing it. You have to see and pray and ask God, Lord, let me see you. Teach me your ways, O Lord. What are you up to? God, I trust you. I lean on my own understanding. I'm going to walk in your ways. Make my path straight. I don't know. They're very crooked right now. They're very awful. Life is life, and we all know it. But God is God, and you should know it. You can experience God in this life. And he is bigger than this life because he is creator, and he's given life, and he speaks words of life to us and directs us even when we don't know what's going on. So Paul says he can rejoice in the Lord despite the circumstances because the gospel is going forth, And it was giving others boldness. Now, it was going forth 
with boldness you can rejoice. But check out verse 15 through 18. Because another group was advancing the gospel and they weren't doing it for love. They were doing it for selfish ambition. To try to get money, to deceive people, to build up their following. Some indeed preach Christ from envy, envy and rivalry. Let me just stop there real quick. There are people that preach the gospel, that preach for wrong reasons. This should actually teach us how important the gospel is. Because even when people preach, when they have no character, when they are doing it for wrong reasons, God's word is still the same, and it will actually bear fruit in people's lives if they accept God and the gospel, what he has. And so he says there are some, the Bible will call them false teachers, false prophets, false shepherds, terrible people that God will judge. Every man will give an account, especially teachers. But he says there's people out there that are just shady, scandalous, have terrible hearts. And I know right now, probably not you, but in me, my righteous anger, I want to punch them in the face. I want to beat those people that use people, that elevate programs over people, that just abuse God's scripture, get out of context, all that different stuff. But God, he's like, no skin off my back, man. God's God. He got this. So he doesn't even complain. He doesn't start a blog. He doesn't post bad. You know what he says? But others from goodwill, the later do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in prison. What then? What shall I do? It's almost like, of course, you're going to rejoice if something good's going on. Revival's breaking out. Okay, well, praise God. He's like, but this ain't happening. What shall I do? People are coming in. Only that in every way, whether pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Well, let me emphasize that. Yes, and I will rejoice. That's his response. That's his attitude his mind shift, that God's word is so good, it is so powerful, that the gospel is the power of save. It don't matter what man or hell will stand against it, the church will rise with or without him because God is God and that is that. So he just says, what should I do about this? I'm just going to rejoice. I'm, I'm going to take my time preaching the gospel and helping in that furtherance, like writing scripture. I'm not going to go out and harm people and do this. Now, he would call people out and God calls false prophets out and that's fine. But his attention was realizing that he was inspiring others to preach and he was praising God that God was empowering people, giving them boldness and a message to preach. So much so that even some people with selfish ambition, with pretense, they were preaching. This verse helped me, helps me a lot. Dealing with all different types of ministries. If I disagree with a lot of ministries and their motives or whatever, I just rejoice. As long as the gospel is being preached, it's the first importance. If Jesus is being elevated and exalted, then praise God. I don't care if you have this issue or that issue or you believe in this or a second doctrine, second of priority. It's okay to interpret differently. You're, other believers are not enemies. There are people in different denominations that believe differently than us. Praise God for them. Praise God that God is so big that he loves all of us in our diversity. What a blessing and a mindset that is because it actually now brings further into the gospel and more fellowship. He's just stacking it on. It's a snowball here. Paul made this choice to rejoice just as you and I 
can make a choice to rejoice in our circumstances. Now, in verse 19 through 26, this last part talking about furtherance of the gospel, he says he rejoices when people, believers are preaching the gospel, when people with false motives are preaching the gospel. He says, yes, again, I will rejoice. Verse 19, he says, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit, Christ, for I know that through, the, uh, through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that my God's going to work. I know that God's going to free me. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I have a confidence of things not yet to come, a hope, a strength. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. You remember when the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went before the king and they said, hey man, what my God could free me. He ain't seen nothing. This is my God. He could do anything he wants. And even if he doesn't, He's God. So let's go. This is the mindset that he's having. If faith is something incredible, when you trust God, it will get you through amazing things. You can have confidence and courage through the most deepest, darkest things in your life because God is greater than those things. And he can work on our behalf. And he does work on our behalf. And Paul has complete confidence. So you see this language of confidence. Like he's just like, God, the gospel's going forth. This is happening. It's amazing. God's working. But then in verse 21, it sort of gives us a clue. Why does he have this confidence? Because he is not living for his own will, his own desire. He's not being upset and frustrated because he's not living for the situation or circumstance. He says in verse 21, for me, it's just for me. Y'all just learn. He says, for me to live is Christ. What is the greatest thing that you can give your life to? Christ. Who is the greatest person you can live for? Jesus Christ. He says, when you do that, it's all good. Death or life, high or low. Even though I walk through the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I I can have an amazing feast when my enemies are all around. If God is with me. Who can be against me? And he says, to die? Well, to die is gain. Because then I'll be to be with Christ. Now, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for you or for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He was conflicted. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. He had a desire. You know, the, the Bible says that those that love the Lord long for his appearing. There is no longer a sting for death, but some of us sometimes desire to be dead so that we could truly be alive. This is a natural thing. So he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, to be on earth or to be in heaven with Christ. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for it is far better. Always remember that heaven is far better than what we have. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because my coming to you again. Paul chooses to rejoice in the Lord because even in the circumstances he can serve Christ 
with his life. He realized that he was being used to advance the gospel, a testimony to minister to others. He was a servant of Christ, and if his master wanted him to be used in a certain way, he would say yes. It was up to Jesus, because Paul lived for Jesus. You see, don't think he wanted to be in prison because he didn't. He actually desired to be in heaven, to go home, to be with the Lord. At this time in his life, Paul records in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he had a revelation of heaven. Some scholars say in the book of Acts, he got stoned. In the story, he got stoned so much to death, they left him for dead outside the city. Low pulse, totally messed up, jacked up. He starts talking about his credentials in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and says, I've had this revelation of really who God is and the presence of God in heaven. I, it's, it's so incredible, I'm not even going to talk about it. That's really his language. So he's like, I know what's coming. I, I want to be there. This is why he says in verse 23 to 24, I am hard pressed between the two. See, my desire is to depart to be with the Lord and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in this flesh, it's more necessary for your account. Not for me. I'm faithful. I'm doing what God's called me to do. But if I'm going to be used by God, it'll be for your account because it will help further the gospel. Paul, he wanted the easy way out, just like all of us, right? He actually admits it right here. That's the easy way out, to go to be with God for all eternity, for home. But he said, oh, I so desire it. It's so good. I just, but God wants me here as a witness to his gospel, to live for him. He's my master. He desired heaven to be with Christ, but God had another plan, and he submitted to that. You know, God wants to use us all to be his witness for the glorious gospel. In the Christian faith, we all know that heaven is better. This is not heaven. And it is better. And it is okay to long for that and desire that. Paul realized this, though, that God wanted him on this earth for a reason. You need to realize this if you're going to have joy, that you're here on this earth for a reason. To further the gospel, to be a witness, to bring glory to God. In verse 20 and 21, he says, As always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your will be done, he's saying. This is that single mind. As we live for God in his glory, it brings great fruit in our lives and we get a taste of eternity as we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we have to have that mindset of surrender. We have to have that mindset that the gospel really matters and it is for people. Too often we get robbed by our joy in life because we're so focused on our will, our plans, and our desires and not Jesus's. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says, For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't do God. It, doesn't, it rebels against God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible would say it's impossible to please God without faith. We have to surrender our will and make a choice to have him our Lord and our master and walk in his ways. And when you make that choice, the Bible says you get joy. You remember what Jesus' words were when he talked about being abiding in him? 
In John chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, he said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's a correlation with obedience surrendered to joy. You not only got to think it, your faith has to have works. Do you want to have joy, full joy in this life? Paul would say it's in Jesus. Surrender your will to him. Surrender your will to him. Don't be double-minded living for Christ one day and then during the week not living for Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life. Paul was rejoicing in this situation because it gave him opportunities and others to advance the gospel and to be witnesses to others. Now, lastly, verse 27 through 30. I told you it was long, but y'all are doing pretty good. You know, you're responding. I know it's good. Paul was rejoicing because not of his circumstances, but he was rejoicing because his circumstances enabled him to defend the gospel, to defend it, to fight for it. And he talks about the faith of the gospel. 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There it is, that conduct, that faith and have an action. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear about you that all are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. There it is again, that mind, striving, attitude, side by side. We're doing it together in community because it brings joy for faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by our opponents, this is a clear sign to them in their destruction. But your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had And now here that I still have conflict, fighting, standing firm, having a mindset, battling. Paul's saying stand for the faith, that you need to have faith in the gospel. At first, he gives this illustration of family. The gospel gives fellowship. Then he gives another illustration about uh, being a servant. How when we submit to God, God is our master and you have joy when you follow him. Now, finally, he's giving this illustration of a soldier. He's saying, stand firm. He wants the church to defend the gospel, to stand firm in their faith and be a soldier. Remember, he would write at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 4.7. He would tell us in this church in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He wants them to know and us to know that our conduct and the way that we live matters to God. Our conduct and the way that we live matters to God. He wants us walking in righteousness and holiness, to be salt and light in the world. As Jesus said, you are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor people light a lamp and put it under a basket but in a stand, on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it brings so much joy to lead other people to Jesus. It's it's a joy 
you can't describe. To be able to share the gospel and see a life transformed and to know God used you, it brings so much joy to, to walk in God's truth and purity. Not just because you're not getting the consequences, because you know that you're doing the appropriate response to loving God. But Satan, our enemy, he doesn't want us to walk in either of those things. Our enemy wants to deceive us. He's the father of lies. He knows that this will affect us and others if we're walking in holiness and power and strength in the Lord. Again, Warren Wiersbe said, what we believe determines how we behave, and wrong belief ultimately means wrong life. Or to put it another way, what you believe affects your behavior. And so the enemy lies to us and has us want to live our own life and doesn't want us strong in the faith through the word of God. Because if our behaviors aren't holy, then we're not fruitful. Not as much as God's plan for our life is. He wants us to be witnesses. He wants that fruit for our lives. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he deceives us. He doesn't want us in the word of God knowing these things. But we're to live such holy lives. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that non-believers should be coming to us, seeing our conduct and saying, what's the hope that you have inside of you? And we should be saying, it's the hope of the Spirit of God, the hope of the living King. King of kings, the Lord of lords, he saved my life so much that I actually desire and have a new desire to do something that's contrary to the world, but living in righteousness and shining my light. People should say, man, you got a lot of joys, everything, man, what's going on right in your life? You should say, nothing but Jesus, and still smile. Right? Don't you want to know that about the secret? Like, if you see a businessman, don't you want to know, like, what, what's your secret? What are the tips? A tutorial, I want to learn, learn your thing. We have the secret. His name is Jesus. His gospel is good. It should affect our lives. It will be a witness to the world. And when you do that, there is so much joy serving God. So he says, don't you dare give up on that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, In later times, sons shall depart from the faith. We need to defend the faith. He says, and he's telling us, stand firm in the faith. Stay focused. In verse 27, he says, with one mind attitude, thought life, striving side by side. We're in this together for the faith of the gospel. Our gospel witness is us doing it together in fellowship where we're to thrive anyway. We as a church need to be a community that esteems and submits to God's words, even if it causes some suffering, even if we disagree with it. Look at verse 29, his response. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Let's roll. This ain't just some good Bible study. This is life 101. You're going to suffer. And when you suffer for Jesus, you get some great reward. The trial is going to come. Don't be surprised, Peter says, but embrace it. Rejoice in it because how you respond could be a great witness to the world. And you can have your heart in the midst of that response. Bible says that God is a consuming fire. And it's a fearful thing to be in the presence of God. Unless you have the gospel. Because with the gospel, I don't have to fear my father. Because sin has already been punished through Jesus. And he's given me the spirit of God. And so now in the trial, I have a comforter, a helper, a hope. Someone to help me through it. And I can now be a gospel witness for the sake of my family, this community, and the world. 
engage in some conflict. Be a soldier. Have some boldness. Be filled with the Spirit. What's the world going to do? Are they going to imprison you? So? I'm already set free through Jesus. This is the attitude that we need to have. And this is what he's saying. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 4. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civil pursuits since his aim is to please the one who he enlists in. When we have an attitude of a soldier to aim to please God, taking our doctrine and conduct seriously, we'll have joy. Go ahead and be a Jesus fanatic. That's what Paul was in the single mind, filtering his whole worldview through God and the gospel. So, y'all want to come up? Let's respond. I told you it was a lot. Next week, I already wrote out my note. It's going to be less than this. But come on, I had to do a recap. I got pumped. I got too pumped. I went off my message, off my notes. I'm so sorry. But you know what? It's good. It's good to respond and thank you for your attention. The first chapter, we see not only Paul preach on how to obtain joy through a single mind, but we see his godly example, don't we? We're witnessing his message right now because isn't Paul, even though he's with Jesus right now, a thousand years later, we see him be a beautiful witness to us. You can live a legacy for Jesus. Don't you forget that. Your life matters not only here and now in our generation, but for generations to come. Because he was concerned with the gospel and the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel and the faith of the gospel. And so now let's ask the Lord for us to be single-minded, to focus on the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again. The Bible says when we gather together that we should remember this. Think about this. Meditate on this. Confess your sin before you come to the table of communion. And so we're going to sing a song and then close with communion. The song is I Surrender All. And what an appropriate song to take for communion. That we can surrender and lay down our lives for God because he already laid his life down for us. And so as you come and process and think about Paul, have a godly conviction. Let it turn you to Christ and say, Lord, man, yeah, purify me tonight. Help me to live for you, for your glory. God, we thank you so much just for your awesomeness, your worthiness, Lord, to be able to live for you, to rejoice, to come to your table and say, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm I'm broken. I'm hurt. I, I just need your strength. God, we empty ourselves right now so we could be filled with your love and joy. Lord, would you comfort? Would you save? Lord, for those that may not be listening to this that don't know you, Jesus, would you save? Would you have them repent? God, we come to you in a posture of repentance, knowing that we can come to you by faith. And so by faith, we trust in you. We believe, Lord, that you died and rose again. As we take communion, this is what we're saying. We need you. Help us to surrender all to you, Lord, and help us to bring you glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.